Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that has forgotten everything it thinks it knows. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we are working our way through the stubborn, the arrogant, and the ambitious of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about a doctor with a doctor. (laughs) Dr. Kelly Jones is joining us to discuss Doctor Strange. All right, so I want to open up here by saying, oh, my God, Dr. Kelly Jones is with us today. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion of Dr. Strange. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dr. Jones, you clearly have to get out more. She is the co-host of Chipperish Media Still Dead. Welcome to the end times and big, strong yes and more to come, which we will announce at a later date. But anyway, um, so we have brought her in to talk about Dr. Strange. Uh, why, why did you want to join us for this particular recording, Dr. Jones? Other than Benedict Cumberbatch? Um, no. <laughs> no, I know that's so, the only reason. Everybody knew that was the only reason. Uh, no. So actually, I only saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. I guess it was 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember kind of loving it as a teaching and learning movie. Like, yeah. I know there's superheroes and magic and time travel and whatever. But I'm like, oh, school. Back to school. Yes, please. I want to watch all those movies. <laughs> <So>. Yes. <laughs> For those of you who are unaware, Dr. Kelly Jones is a specialist in, what, what is it? Is it learning? Is it uh, curriculum design? Like, what is your, like, very particular specialty? Curriculum and instruction. Mm-hmm. So, curriculum design and instructional design. And adult learning just holds a special place in my heart. So, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he saves the world. But, like, did you see the library? <laughs> and I just... <laughs> yeah. Yep. I love it. I love it. It's going to be a really fun discussion. But before we get started talking about Dr. Strange, we have to have our four color facts. Joshua, take that away. Oh, man. Okay. There's kind of (laughs) a few of them. I mean, Mm -hmm. we really did cram everybody into this movie and we didn't have to. But Mm -hmm. more on that in a moment. Let's start (laughs) with the man himself, Dr. Strange. So the origin of Doctor Strange in the comics is basically the same as the movie, more or less, give or Mm -hmm. take some details. The biggest problem being that Tony Stark bit his stees in the MCU, but we'll talk about that problem later as well. But the plot beat's basically the same. Total asshat of a surgeon who only cares about himself and money, has terrible car accident, shatters his hands, leaving him, in his view, useless. In the comics, they do make a point of the fact that his ego won't allow him to take a teaching position, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty telling, honestly. So, since it's basically the same as the movie, let me talk about the creators and influences that eventually became Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. So, the character is credited to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. That is the same team that brought you Spider-Man, for those mm-hmm. playing along at home. But both men agree that Ditko did more of the heavy lifting on this one. Ditko showed up with a 10-page story already penciled and scripted, ready to go wow. about this mm-hmm. guy. So now they originally planned to call him Mr. Strange, which actually is only because the title he was appearing in was Strange Tales. Ah. Mm. But then they decided that sounded too close to Mr. Fantastic. 
of the Fantastic Four. Sure. So they made him a doctor, which I think is super ironic because Mr. <laughs> Fantastic is also a doctor. <gasps> no. But he allows himself to go, well, no, my, my professional name is Mr. Fantastic. I see. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Side note, there had actually been a villainous Doctor Strange that appeared just shortly before our heroic Doctor Strange, but he was a one-off villain in Iron Man, and we don't talk about him. Okay. (laughs) Now, Lee's side of the inspiration was mostly Chando the Magician. This is a radio program that is also about a white man who learns Eastern mystical secrets and uses them to fight crime. Mm -hmm. It was from this radio program, which I have heard a couple of episodes of, and it's it's uh, it's a ride, you know, <laughs> but it is the place where Lee got the idea to create mystical sounding relics and incantations like the Eye of Agamotto, the mm-hmm. Wand of Watum, the Vishanti, and my personal favorite, the Hoary Hosts of Hoggoth. <laughs> Ditko, however, brought the fucking heat with the visuals, <laughs> and it's the visuals that have the most influence on the look of this film. They are surrealist and psychedelic. Many of Marvel's college-age readers thought that either Lee or Ditko or both must have been heads or mm-hmm. users of drugs in order to get the visuals that these students had never seen except for behind their own eyelids when they took shrooms. Ah. They weren't. They're super okay. straight edge. So they were not actually using psychedelics. But. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, they really had their finger on the pulse because I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here for a moment. Because this quote just says it better than I could. Originating in the early 1960s, the character was a predictor of trends in art prior to them becoming more established in the later counterculture of the 1960s. As historian Bradford W. Wright described, Steve Ditko contributed some of his most surrealistic work to the comic book and gave it a disorienting, hallucinogenic quality. Doctor Strange's adventures took place in bizarre worlds and twisting dimensions that resembled Salvador Dali paintings. Inspired by the pulp fiction magicians of Stanley's childhood, as well as by contemporary beat culture, Doctor Strange remarkably predicted the youth counterculture's fascination with Eastern mysticism and psychedelia. Never among Marvel's more popular or accessible characters, Doctor Strange still found a niche among an audience seeking a challenging alternative to more conventional superhero fare. Oh, interesting. Little dry, a little academic, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it really is remarkable how ahead of the curve artistically yeah. this book was. Yeah. That's about all I got for Stephen Strange. The bulk of what you need to know about him is in the movie. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the ancient one. Okay. The ancient one is mostly a mentor figure and not really a character unto himself at first. Mm-hmm. That's right, himself. So, great, they made him into a she. That's the Mm -hmm. good news. Let's talk about the bad news. (laughs) When first introduced, the Ancient One is a 500-year-old master of the mystic arts who was born and grew up in a Himalayan valley called Mm -hmm. Kamartage. Mm -hmm. That's right, friends, not white, unlike Tilda Swinton, who is famously white. Yes, yes. And to be honest, this change is one that I remain salty about and will continue to do so through this episode. Sorry in advance. Also, not sorry at all. This change is bullshit. Yeah, no, I can completely understand that. I was actually really impressed with the fact that we had a female mentor, which is actually fairly rare, especially a female mentor who mentors a male. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you might have a female mentor who mentors a female, but this particular, um, you know, matchup 
is actually fairly unusual. And I was so impressed with that. I did not know that this character had been whitewashed as well. So that is a, a interesting and yeah, and I understand why you'd be salty about that. <laughs> it's a little bit we give something and we take something away, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And Tilda Swinton is, you know, sort of famously odd, right? Like she's sure got mm-hmm. the right demeanor. It's just that Disney's got to chase that almighty Chinese dollar. So heavens to Murgatroyd, we can't have someone from the Himalayas. Oh no! Yeah, that's so disappointing. It's true. At any rate, as the Yoda of this story, he's not super interesting at first. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you come to find out some of the Ancient One's origins and how he began his training in the mystical arts alongside his childhood friend, Kalu. The Ancient One and Kalu together cast a spell that removed disease and age from their entire valley. Mm -hmm. Kalu went on to enslave their people with mind control, so kind of a dick. (laughs) (laughs) And also that he could build an army to go create an empire. The Ancient Mm -hmm. One wouldn't allow it, but their battle obliterated the valley, leaving the Ancient One rootless. He wandered, gathering artifacts, fighting dark mystical powers, and eventually winning the tournament to become the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm -hmm. Now there's Wong. No reaction? I thought you got, do you guys like Wong? I don't know, it's fine. I, was, I do like Wong. I was waiting to hear four I wanted, facts. Yeah, I wanted to hear okay. about your, you know, the history. Yeah, He's fun as a librarian. I really like the Wong that we get in this movie, but mm-hmm. there's some really cool backstory to the Wong of the 616. Mm-hmm. His ancient ancestor assisted some evil mages and Ooh. in repentance for these acts, swore that he and his descendants would only serve wizards who themselves served the cause of good. Oh, kind of cool. The 10 generations before Wong all served the ancient one. But when Wong, who had grown up in a monastery where he learned the skills necessary to serve a master of the mystic arts, when he came of age, the ancient one sent him to serve Dr. Strange, who had not yet ascended to the Sorcerer Supreme Mm -hmm. at that point. Wong is himself from the Kamartaj region, so he has distant blood kinship with the ancient one in Kalu. Oh, nice. Kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, different than a librarian. And, right. and one big improvement, in my opinion, because, again, we've talked so many times about how white the MCU is, Yeah, mm-hmm. is that he's not a wizard in the comic books. Like, he assists mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. He helps right. him with mm-hmm. his mystical rituals, but he is not himself mystically empowered. And I love mm-hmm. the generational stuff with him, but it also yeah. leaves him as permanently a secondary role. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could theoretically see a Wong spinoff if the MCU just got crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, our sort of villain in this picture? Not really. He's not very villainous, but in the comic books, Baron Mordo is just very villainy. Ooh, Ooh yeah. interesting. Yeah, because he doesn't. He's not a villain in this. You can tell because he's got Baron in his name. He's on the side of good. He's a good guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, not till the end. Yeah. The, yeah, they tease yeah. a little bit at the mm-hmm. end that he might be headed that way, but yeah. So with the 616 Mordo, he doesn't really bear a lot of resemblance to the MCU version, and I'm really hoping we get a lot more of him in the sequel. I mm-hmm. really liked oh, yeah. this version of Mordo. Yeah. In the 616, Mordo is white and more to the point, Transylvanian. Whoa. Yeah, that's a hint that he's not a good dude, right? right? I mean, Transylvania. (laughs) 
you know what? You get one like classic vampire from Transylvania, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everybody's stereotyped, everybody's evil, everybody's undead. I just think that's unfair. Well, to be fair, they also have the real life man that inspired the famous vampire who was also a pretty unpleasant human being. There are unpleasant human beings from everywhere. <laughs> sure, but you know, it's nice when you're famously unpleasant. I yeah, think. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> At any rate, whether it's fair or not, mm -hmm. being Transylvanian is one of the three <laughs> big clues that Mordo is not a good guy. His other two clues are a green outfit, and mm -hmm. he, and the last one is he's got some extreme eyebrows, you guys. Oh, so eyebrows are villain indicators. I would say yes, definitely, especially okay. in magic-using characters. Uh -huh, I see. Also, also, probably there's some nods towards Yellow Peril stuff there, but again, mm -hmm. he's Transylvanian, so if they just decided to make him look like older, pulpier villains, mm -hmm. you know, they at least didn't also make him a yellow peril yeah he's an enough. eastern european peril which mm -hmm. as we discussed in our last episode is a lot there's a lot of those yeah yeah definitely at any rate mordo kind of comes out of the gate as a bad guy he plots to kill the ancient one but strange discovers the plot mm -hmm. mordo instantly ensorcels strange so that he could not warn the ancient one mm -hmm. this left strange who had rejected the ancient one's offer of apprenticeship unable to save his would-be mentor so he volunteers to be the apprentice in hopes that he can learn enough mystical wisdom to protect the Ancient One. Mm -hmm. The Ancient One reveals that he knew about the plot all along, breaks the spells on Strange, and boots Mordo to the curb. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes on to do a bunch of villainous shit that I really hope we get to talk about in the episode about this sequel, because I really want him to be in that uh, a lot. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the Dread Dormammu. Mm-hmm. So the Dormammu of the 616 is not a native of the Dark Dimension, but he was banished there by his fellow Faltine, a mystical race of higher beings. Mm -hmm. You two, being big fans of Angel the series, should have a lot of feelings about higher, <laughs> higher level beings. mystical beings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a lot of feelings about that. Not all of them good. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. Having watched Angel... That's the correct response. And also kind of the correct response for Dormammu. Uh-huh. So he is banished to the Dark Dimension by his people because, and this is wild to me, he has what they consider to be an unclean and perverse fascination with physical matter. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, they're not they're not corporeal, the fall oh. team, and he really wanted to be. So mm-hmm. In the Dark Dimension, Dormammu gained more mystical knowledge and power. He locked away a juggernaut of eldritch monsters called the Mindless Ones mm -hmm. and enslaved the entire dimension, casting himself as its sole deity. Mm -hmm. So we wind up where he is in the MCU. Yeah. He has since added many mystical realms to his own domain since, but has consistently failed to take Earth thanks to the efforts of first the Ancient One and then Doctor Strange. Dormammu has a very personal hatred for Strange at this point. Strange has actually helped him a couple of times, much mm -hmm. to Dormammu's chagrin. Uh -huh. And in return for one of those times of assistance, Strange made him promise to stay off of Earth. Uh -huh. And he was like, oh, I hate this so much, but I have to <laughs> say yes. 
The Dread Dormammu is indescribably ancient. The Dark Dimension itself defies the laws of physics as understood on Earth and is basically wholly separate from the 616. Mm -hmm. But he is known to have already existed at the creation of the various Marvel Hells. As okay. we've discussed, there's a lot of Marvel Satans. <laughs> there's a lot of Marvel Hells. Yeah. He clashed with Agamotto himself of the Eye fame. Mm -hmm millions of years ago and a pre-cataclysm atlantis their sorcerer kings considered him to be an extreme threat mm -hmm. so he's been around a minute yeah and has basically never stopped being an asshole he's not quite as personal an antagonist in the film as he is in the comics but mm -hmm. they definitely captured the cosmic level threat as well as integrating those wild ditko style visuals into the dark dimension itself wow very cool. Um, so, no Cassilius in the Four Color Facts. Was he not in the uh, comic books? So, it's funny you bring that up, uh -huh. right? Because Cassilius is in the comics, but he doesn't really do much. Yeah. Like, he is a disciple of Baron Mordo and delivers messages and kidnapped the Ancient One once. And that's about it. Like, they really gave that guy a glow up for okay. this movie. <laughs> Cool. I'm glad that they, you know, they expanded his role. It was it was kind of a, a cool uh, character, um, a cool idea. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for the four color facts. I'm going to go ahead and do a little of the production history here. Uh, Doctor Strange was released on November 4th, 2016. It was directed by Scott Derrickson and written by John Spates and Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cagle. Um, and John Spates is separate from Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cagle. There's this whole thing they do where when there's an Ampersand. It means two people work together as a team. That's Derrickson and Cagle. Uh, and Spates worked uh, separately from them. So we've had a couple of different revisions, a couple of writers on the on the thing. But as I've said before, when you have a team that's working together, that counts as one writer on the as far as like you know mucking up the vision of the of the movie. <laughs> but I will say that even with you know a couple extra cooks in the kitchen, I think that this movie had a pretty clear sense of its own focus and and what it was doing. So I thought that was pretty good. This is Derrickson's first outing with Marvel. Uh, the second Doctor Strange movie has been announced with him at the helm, so apparently the first date with Marvel, which is Hollywood's notorious bad boyfriend, seems to have gone, you know, well enough. Uh, <laughs> it's called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which sounds psychedelic, and it is supposed to be out in 2021, so I'm very interested to see where they go with that, uh, you know, after the end of this um, of this movie. I think that they, they left some kind of interesting narrative space to move into so I'm looking forward to that um, prior to this Derrickson who you know is doing Marvel movies right you'd think that he would have done like a whole bunch of stuff but he's really just done like a small handful of movies nothing particularly noteworthy although he did both write and direct the remake of the day the earth stood still so clatu brata nicto y'all uh, Doctor Strange took in 677 million worldwide which sounds like a lot of money but when you're talking about Marvel it's kind of a middle of the pack performance. Um, but it also had a fairly low budget for a Marvel movie, which is $165 million, which I know 
We're talking about Marvel dollars. <laughs> That's a different thing That's from right. actual Chunk money. change right there. Right, exactly. And when you consider the wild special effects on this thing, I'm kind of impressed that that was the budget that they had to work with because I think that they did an excellent job with these special effects. I mean, it looked really, really good. Um, Doctor Strange has an 89% for critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes and 86% audience response. So that's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's about... That's about right. It's a little high for me, but <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's pretty good. It's interesting to me because the first time I saw this movie, um, I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, there's a lot of the, the mucking with reality that never really sits that well with me. Um, but I enjoyed it a lot more this time around, despite the fact that here we have another origin story, which I always <laughs> struggle with. <laughs> Because you know my whole sense of like narrative structure and that you start, the story starts when you have the protagonist clashing with the antagonist and we've got all this stuff going on. There's some interesting things happening here and I'm not really sure about the structure. I kind of think it has something of a serialized structure the way that Captain America did, uh, where we've actually got a few different stories kind of like moving into each other. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, But I think that we've got, I mean, I don't know. What would you guys say? I mean, I think we see a lot of, you know, internal conflict, strange versus strange, that he is his own worst enemy. And I think that that line of conflict kind of runs all the way through from the beginning to the end. I mean, it really is. You see him driving, you know, like an asshole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when he gets into the accident, I'm like, well, there you go. (laughs) Doctor Strange going to die the way he lived, like a giant asshat. Like a giant asshole um but it is i mean he's so cocky he's so arrogant and we get a lot of that the first you know 10 to 15 minutes are like oh so are you saying he's cocky and arrogant okay well please show me another circumstance in which he's an arrogant asshole because i didn't get it the first three times we finally get that we finally get very solidly that oh he's an asshole okay no now we get it um and then he takes the dive he's brought back they save his life but his hands have sustained too much nerve damage for him to be what he is. So we end up in this, you know, this identity story. Like if he isn't the doctor that can work miracles, you know, the neurosurgeon that can work miracles, then what is he, you know? Um, So I found that kind of interesting. Like there's a lot of stuff in here that I found really interesting. I like this thing that we keep coming back to with his fear of failure. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea when he's talking, when he's driving and he's hearing, you know, about all these possible cases he could take. And there's this 68 year old woman with a glioma and he says, you know, no, I've got my reputation, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw that mm-hmm. up, right? He's unwilling to accept failure. And then when he needs help, there's the do- the French doctor he's talking to who says, I've got my reputation to consider, right? So we, we are hitting this thing with his, it's, uh, I, I don't even know if fear of failure is like a strong enough word for what this is, you know, a pathological aversion to even the risk of failure, that he has to be perfect at everything all the time, right? Um, so I find that kind of interesting. Um, and we have like these three stories kind of working into one. I mean, Act One, which is almost like a prologue, right? Brings us his, you know, oh, is he arrogant? Thank you, you know, that part. And then, you know, into the accident where everything changes. So he is really his own worst enemy. He is bringing himself down. Um, and Act Two, from I think when he, you know, wakes up 
up from having been in the accident to when he leaves uh, to go to Camartage, right? Um, that it's really him versus nature. Like nature has dealt him a blow. He cannot, with the regular laws of nature, um, get his hands back. But that is the battle that he's he's waging at that at that point. And then we get into Act Three, where it's Strange versus Caecilius. Like once he um, goes to the sanctum and ends up in this fight with Caecilius, just not because he's looking for a fight, not because he's looking, but he just happens to be very much in a situation of wrong place, wrong time. Guess I'll kick some ass while I'm here, you know. And that's <laughs> what starts that whole thing. Um, so it feels like we have these three different stories that are kind of all wound up into this um, uh, into this one story. And it does sort of have this serialized feel to it, almost very similar to, uh, not that similar, because I think Captain America, um, the first Avenger, had a very strong sense of serialization to, mm-hmm. those, to those stories. And it felt like they were almost all equally weighted. Whereas the first part of this story is very short. This is just, he's an asshole and he brings himself down by getting into the accident because he's an asshole. Um, and then it's him versus nature trying to like subvert the laws of nature in order to get his hands back. And then because of what he does to do that, he gains this skill set that allows him to fight Caecilius. And then he actually inherits the um, the line of antagonism that's riding between the Ancient One and Dormammu, which then is expressed on this plane through Strange versus Caecilius. So as I'm looking at this whole structure and trying to figure out like how this story is functioning, um, I think it's a strange structure. I think it's a workable structure. But again, it's this classic origin story where we're going to spend the first part, you know, without that antagonism, just kind of figuring out you know, who this guy is and how he ended up being what he is. And by the time we get him to where he's able to pick up this line of antagonism, pick up this fight, that's like, I don't know, it's like an hour into the movie, something like that. It's like 53 minutes in. Um, mm. So it, it works for me, I think, because we do have these lines of internal antagonism and sort of man versus himself, man versus nature, and then man versus man. We kind of step into these three different um, lines of antagonism. Um, but it does feel like it's a slow, it's a slow burn getting into this like main line of antagonism but the first two conflicts you know strange versus himself and strange versus nature those are very personal whereas he kind of falls ass backwards into the conflict with caecilius mm-hmm. what did you guys think about about that story well it's funny i mean because i when i was reading your notes and hearing mm-hmm. you talk i'm like oh yeah that makes much more sense than how i was thinking about it because (laughs) like i know that you know man versus man man versus Mm -hmm. nature man versus self whatever yeah um and i've i guess i kind of thought of dr strange as like man versus reality because in the beginning you know he has constructed Mm -hmm. this reality right where he's this badass surgeon oh yeah amazing and he's whatever um like in ignoring the parts of that reality that he cannot control which by mm-hmm. the way if you're driving real fast on a curvy cliffside like don't freaking look at your phone don't do that don't look um, at your phone if you're behind a car i don't care right? don't do that <laughs> so but but that like pushing the lines of his reality too yeah. far right because mm-hmm. he is so arrogant then leads him to this reality that he cannot accept so now his reality is, you know, his hands are damaged beyond repair. Um, and it's really interesting with him and time because time was what worked against him in that in that 
injury, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if they had yes. gotten to him in time, he would have had a much better chance. Like, the injury was terrible, mm-hmm. but the time of it was was worse. Right. Um, so then he's in a reality he can't accept, so he goes to seek, like, literally a different interpretation of reality. You know, mm-hmm. he goes in, in, in search of magic, and then he finds it and refuses to accept it. You know, mm-hmm. what? what's in this tea? Why are you doing this to me? Is like his initial, <laughs> right. you know, reaction. And then when he decides he wants to learn it and he does accept it, then he gets thrown into the situation where people who have gone down that path in different ways than him are now seeking to alter the reality where he has found safety and power once again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like, as far as narrative structure, I have no idea. When I, I was like, yes, Lonnie's makes much more sense to me. But <laughs> well, no, I think thematically, like his inability to accept reality and his his arrogance in the face of reality, mm-hmm. you know, that like reality is not something that he's going to allow to get in his way. You know, right. it's not going to bring mm. him down. Um, and I, I, mean, I find we see that, that kind in of the operating theater, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like that's, yes. that's what he's doing. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have time for all that sciencey business. Just let me do this by feel. I yeah. will create mm-hmm. a space where my reality is what I say. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's definitely got the the classic God complex, you know. Um, so I don't know. Like, uh, what did you think about it, Joshua, as far as the story structure goes and the origin story? I know origin stories do not annoy you as much as they tend to annoy me. Um, how did you feel about the way how the way the story was put together? I am kind of hitting my limit for origin stories. Like mm-hmm. we talked about how yeah. much we appreciate a backdoor pilot for both yes. Black Panther and Spider-Man, yes. you know, in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we are introducing an entirely new dimension to the MCU as mm-hmm. well as a different person. So w- we had to settle into it. Yeah. Um, I actually, the structure, I think you've, I think you've nailed it, of course. Mm-hmm. But I felt like my biggest problem with this has mostly been character stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for like, there's part of this that's not the fault of the movie, and there's part that is. And the part mm-hmm. that isn't their fault is that Tony Stark stole Stephen Strange's face turn. Mm-hmm. And he stole it ten years before this movie was made. <laughs> <laughs> because if you remember, like if you go back and think about where how I talked about Iron Man in the comic books, yes. uh, he was mm-hmm. making weapons to murder essentially Vietnamese communists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and everybody was fine with that like it was not a problem that he needed to turn away from Mm -hmm. knowing that things had changed a little bit since the 60s into the early 2000s we had to do something a little different you know for his movie right but it really leaves strange in a place where he can't have the same level of face turn i think Mm -hmm. you know um, and part of that is that they just kind of make him an asshole when they really, I think, needed to turn that knob up a few notches. We needed okay. to kind of hate him, mm-hmm. like not just go, that's not a person I want to spend time with. More like when the car accident happened, we go, good, right. you know, <laughs> that's the level they should have taken him to. But I don't think they have that's, the stones. It's a tough thing to do, though, because, I mean, the thing is that, you know, the the reader and when I say reader, most people already know this about me, but like anybody who engages critically with anything, be it a movie or TV show or whatever. I always refer to that as the reader. Um, But the reader rides through the story on the back of the protagonist, right? And so the protagonist does not have to be a good guy, but we need to um, care about them. And if, if when the protagonist goes off the cliff at, you know, 15 minutes into the movie, we're like, good, 
you know, then you're losing that investment that you really, really need to have from your audience, from your reader, right? Um, so I, I think disagree. That that's tough. Mm-hmm. I, you have to have something that brings people in that makes them care about them. Because even Tony Stark, well, he was, you know, he was an arrogant asshole as well, but he had all that charm and he had some vulnerability. And vulnerability goes a really, really long way. I don't know that you can effectively hate your protagonist and have that work within the movie. I think you're fine with hate because hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is. Yes. So we still care. Uh-huh. We just. Yeah. And the other part of this, this is the part that I think is this movie's problem or fault, Mm -hmm. is that the whole really, I think the first two acts, as you were describing them, is really strange versus himself, really. Mm -hmm. But they let him learn magic too easily. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't actually fail at it, even though it's completely antithetical to the way that he has run things in his life and thought about the entire universe the entire time. And he still picks it up and gets good at it with the same skills that made him a good doctor. Mm -hmm. That is some bullshit. I don't (laughs) like it. So you want to see him challenged more in that space, in that part of the story. He needs to fail a lot at becoming a wizard. Because it's the op. And I'll tell you, the way that I would have done this, for what Mm -hmm. it's worth, the way I would have done this is right that first time that the ancient one dings him on the forehead and he's astrally projecting, you know, and then he has that little adventure and then he comes back to his body. I would have loved to have seen a training montage where he fails for decades. Like we literally watch him grow old, Mm -hmm. failing. And when he finally gets it, for whatever selfless reason, like we can write whatever we want, right? But there's some selfless moment when he finally gets it on his friggin' deathbed or whatever. And at the at that moment, he comes back and it was all an astral projection. But he still spent decades becoming humble oh, and learning man. the thing. Yeah, right? see, I, I don't just know. needed I don't to know see that him I would fail want it to go more. that way. I don't think yeah. I would want it to go that way because I really love what they do with him finally accepting failure. It is his ability when he's finally able to accept failure. That's how he's able to defeat Dormammu at the end. And so I think that I actually kind of I, I think that I would disagree. I think I prefer it the way that it is. What did you What do you think, Kelly? Well, I I agree with both of you in parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, my <laughs> my problem with the like the the learning part of this is how fast he masters things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes. like I I like the fact that he mastered the books quickly and easily. Like this yes. is a this is a man who knows how to study. Like mm-hmm. that I was totally cool with that. And I like we got a little bit when they shifted from book knowledge to this physical you know, the right, when he wasn't work, able to do the stuff the, the right. other students were doing. He couldn't do the sling ring. He had trouble, um, you know, so the Ancient One takes him to the top of Everest and leaves yeah. him, which I was like, hell yeah, like yeah. high-stakes pedagogy. Let's do it. <laughs> ah, high-stakes um, pedagogy. <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, baby, I love it. It was, my, I think, my favorite scene from the whole movie. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't think he should have been able to master that as quickly. I wanted to see it take a lot longer. Well, if she had to go and get him. Yeah, you know, or if Mordo, because Mordo, there's this wonderful moment when she's like, you know, I, I left him in Everest, and Mordo's like, oh, not again, <laughs> not, not you know. Again. And I just, I love that, oh, not again. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, like in that moment, I think him failing 
and her having to go and fetch him from Everest eventually, you know, before he dies. I think that could have been really interesting. Having a little more failure in there, I think, um, as long as he doesn't accept the failure. It's okay Mm -hmm. for him to fail. I don't think that he can accept and become comfortable with the failure until we get to that climax, because this whole thing really is about his battle with himself, his inability to accept his own failure. Yeah. I didn't want to see him fail over and over again in school. I just wanted to, I wanted it to take longer. To and be like, harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tease out that frustration between having book knowledge and not being able to physically do the work. Like there's real tension there for him. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. before, as a surgeon, he had both. I think that he should have struggled more with that physical manifestation of mm-hmm. magic and mm-hmm. maybe even excelled faster with the books Mm -hmm. um, because it just makes sense to me for how he would know how to study. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, he, you know, and there's that great line in there where, you know, the ancient one asks him like, how did you get to be the surgeon that you are? And he's like years of study and practice. Mm -hmm. And she's like, exactly. But then it feels like he kind of went through this whole mystical curriculum and like, I don't know, six overnight. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, No, he went to a magic seminar. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's what I'm getting at is that I love the ending Mm -hmm. so much of this Mm -hmm. movie. I love it so much that I want the middle to support it more. You want it earned. You know? A little more earned. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. The, the idea I can of it that. is so mm-hmm. good. And it just, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel completely unearned, but it feels like maybe, like Kelly was saying, it just came too easily. Right. You know? I could definitely see him failing more. I wouldn't want him to accept that failure until the end, because I think that that's a really important moment for him. But I could definitely see, yeah, that's you know, fair. where it does, it does seem to be coming to come a little bit too easy for him. Um, one of the things, though, that I loved in this movie was the time. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, time as a theme and his watches. Right. He has all of these watches. And Christine, what does she give him? A watch. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, the guy in the operating room, he says, turn off your watch. Um, The guys mug him for his watch. And he says, it's all I have left. And he gets it back, but it's all broken. It has that inscription from Christine. Time will tell how much I love you. Right. Um, I think that it's it's really interesting how. They keep playing that theme of time. We didn't get to you in time. If we had gotten to you earlier, we could have mm-hmm. saved your, you know, the the nerve damage and everything. And then, of course, it is an endless time loop, right? It is his ability to manipulate time um, that opens everything up. Like even in the when he grabs the Eye of Agamotto, which of course we know is the Time Infinity Stone, right? Um, when he does that, and he's able to manipulate time to go back and see those pages when they were there and read the spell, you know? Um, mm. It's 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 kind of neat how time plays such a huge role for him thematically. And I was curious how you, what you guys thought about that. Well, it, it struck me in his role here as a student too, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I love so much about this movie. It's just mm-hmm. the, the theme of learning that, that runs all the way through it. Because, you know, this is someone who has done all the college you know medical school and (laughs) probably tons and tons of you know postgraduate training Mm -hmm. as well um and then you know you see him learning very very fast which you know we've we've talked about but there's still so much that he doesn't know Mm -hmm. you know like when he's fighting um in in one of the like sanctums and he like grabs this 
I don't know, really crazy looking artifact or something. And, and the guy he's fighting is like, you don't know how to use that, do you? Right. And he's like, uh, yeah. no, actually, I don't. <laughs> he's wearing an infinity stone and doesn't know what it is. Yeah. So it's. I think it's. it has a lot of potential there to show him you still have so much to learn. And like, if you want to go down this path, you're going to have to dedicate more mm-hmm. time like mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. you can't just get to a certain point and consider yourself finished right and so when he's willing to sacrifice himself in that time loop mm-hmm. it feels like maybe the first time he's honoring the time yeah. that is really needed to become who mm-hmm. he can become yeah right. so i i thought that that part was really really well done yeah what do you think joshua I had not picked up on that as much because I was just thinking so much more about, you, you know, the failure and the learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great. I mean, it's really uh, it's really strong thematic positioning. Right. Yeah. Like and um, one one thing I don't know if this is exactly in the same areas as, as uh, the thematic time, but just thinking about time, I don't think that this movie is set in the Marvel 2016. Okay. Mm. I think that it's set during Iron Man 2. Interesting. Now, this I promise this will circle back around to having time to learn all the things. Um, okay. There's one moment when he's getting those different uh, options when he's driving the car and he's yeah. getting different cases he could solve. Mm-hmm. One of them is a military person whose back was wrecked by powered armor. Oh, that's what that's what the guy says. I don't know. He's got spinal injury because of this. And if you remember, that's uh, that's what happened to Justin Hammer's prototype on screen. Like it just twisted itself in half with a person in it, you know. And the reason that that is interesting and important to me, both realizing it now and also in terms of what you guys are talking about, about how he's got to learn to slow down Mm -hmm. in order to learn this new stuff is that he seems so much more competent by Thor Ragnarok and the end game in Infinity War. And I think that's because a lot more time has passed for him. Like, Uh I don't think that this movie is set in Marvel 2016, but those other ones are set in the years that they came out. And that's only one clue, but I I liked that there was some in-fiction air for him to breathe in you know like yeah. the time to learn that stuff so mm-hmm. yeah i like it i like it a lot i think you guys it's are very great. cool i think it's <laughs> very cool and i love this at the end with dormammu where dormammu says you will never win he says no but i can lose again and again and again and again forever and that makes you my prisoner and i kind of i love that turn at the end, you know, especially mm-hmm. after playing yeah. so much with time. There was one thing, though, that I noticed with um, with the ancient one, though, is that her symbol kind of has been the fan. Like, she always has this fan in her hand. When mm-hmm. she creates the shields, they're kind of in the shape of a fan. I couldn't figure out what the fan represents. Did you guys pick up on that? Kelly, do you have any thoughts? I have a thought, but I have no textual evidence or citations mm-hmm. to back it up. Okay, so well, go ahead. Go just, for it pure conjecture but so when i was thinking about that like you know strangest symbol is clearly this clock or watch or yes. time mm-hmm. with her holding that fan i was thinking about it in in terms of representing like the mind in a field of study mm-hmm. so you can close a fan you can open a fan intentionally mm-hmm. you can close your mind you can open your mind 
the same way. Yes. Um, the fan, you know, you can use it for decoration or ritual or, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. You can also use it as a weapon. You can smack a student in the head with it. But <laughs> it, it can also have like a sharp edge. And I uh-huh. think that, that that is something I don't know if they even did intentionally in this movie, but I think they ended up doing it beautifully which is you cannot study anything deeply without learning the shadow side of that subject. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Strange figures out pretty quickly how the Ancient One has stayed alive. You know, she's tapping into that dark dimension for its power. And he's much less bothered by that Mm -hmm. than people who have followed her for longer. And I think, like, any area that you're going to study like that is going to have like a sharp edge or a tipping point where you have to move into the darker side of what can be there. Right. Um, so that was, I was just kind of looking at it like that. But again, I have absolutely no rationale for it. It's just how I chose to interpret Well, I mean, I think it says, I don't think there's enough in the movie with the fan, or at least there wasn't for me. I would really love it if any of the listeners had anything that they picked up with that. Joshua, did you notice that at all? I have kind of a genre feeling and a character feeling. Okay, what's up with that? The genre feeling I have is that they're kung fu monks who mm-hmm. also do magic. Mm-hmm. And if you watch a lot of kung fu movies, you will recognize the ancient master archetype, who is usually a much older person, long white beard and hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, they no longer bother to carry weapons because at first you think it's because they're useless, but then it turns out that they are, no, in fact, the biggest badass in the world. <laughs> and they wind up basically using the fan to embarrass the younger protagonist, you know, oh, like mm-hmm. he's all swinging swords and throwing punches and the ancient masters just dodge, dodge, reach out, smack with the fan, dodge, <laughs> dodge you know. <laughs> so I think that there's a genre nod there. Okay, maybe, maybe, yeah. With the ancient one, though, I uh, I think I kind of agree with this darker side thing, but I think that where I'm coming from is that she blows with the wind, right? Mm-hmm. She adapts. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seek to control the wind. She just moves it around with the fan, right? And part of that is a great philosophy for sorcery. Mm-hmm. But she's also like, you know, I think I'm also just going to borrow this other wind that we're not supposed to borrow. <laughs> you know, she's just like adaptable. She blows with right. the wind as necessary. Right. Well, she says that, though, to Strange, right? When she's about before she dies, she's in her astral. They're kind of hanging out before she passes. And she says... Um, she's talking about Mordo. She's like, he needs your flexibility, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And that she, uh, even though she dipped into the dark side, and I kind of, I, I really sort of like that idea too, is that, you know, we, we tend to be, we tend to like a world in which good is good and bad is bad and that's just it, you know? Um, and the thing is that like she seems to have an, an idea that there's, it's much more complicated than mm-hmm. all of that and that mm-hmm. the the good and the bad for in the doctor strange world is much more complicated than that whereas Mordo has this very simple she tapped into the dark side she's evil you know um has this kind of simplified perspective and that in in the end it feels like the the value that is that is held up is is being able to embrace complexity as opposed to 
looking for a simple black and white yes or no kind of existence a very binary existence as opposed to having that gray space in the middle and being able to exist in that gray space while still holding on to your values of goodness whatever those may be um, which i think makes it a little harder you know Mm -hmm. it's harder to exist in that gray space so um so i found that kind of interesting about her too i think she's she's a really interesting character oh yeah i thought so too I agree. I mean, she's much more interesting than the first blush that we get of the Ancient One uh, in the comic books, for mm-hmm. sure. Because mm-hmm. uh, he was very much a vehicle to get strange someplace, right. story-wise, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but no, they really, yeah, they flesh her out and give her a lot of layers here. Yeah, I like that. Um, another thing that I liked, and this is a very minor, I mean, the the story could have almost lived without it. Um, but this this story with Christine, I like the character of Christine. Um, I like the relationship with her and Strange. I like what good friends they are. Uh, there's this element of romance, although they seem to have pretty much put that to bed. Um, although that, that love, I think, is very much there. Um, it's a really interesting relationship. But I think my favorite part, and again, this, you know, and everybody's heard me say this a million times, but the best relationships, romantic or otherwise, any kind of relationship is based on people who can work well together, you know, and they do work really, really well together. And there's this lovely moment, you know, after he comes to the hospital before he's about to leave and it looks like they're about to kiss and she just kisses him on the cheek. Um, so I actually really appreciated that relationship. I appreciated that they didn't make this into um, into some, you know, big, he's the man, she's the woman, he takes care of her, she's in danger. They didn't damsel her at all. Mm. Um, yeah. I actually really liked the way they built this relationship. And ordinarily, like a lot of times, those romances can get real irritating, especially with the way that they treat women. Um, but I, I liked it in this one. Kelly, what did you think about that? I liked it. I like Christine a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that he goes to her for help yes um but she really seems like she is okay without him she has not been pining away waiting for him to come back and (laughs) Mm -hmm. she has her own work that she finds valuable and you know she finds real value in the work she does compared to the work he does Mm -hmm. and she calls him out on his arrogance but she still loves him and she's still there you know to help him but but her he's not the center of her world and i right. and i did like that and i was so glad that she did mm-hmm. not get damseled in any way yes shape, or form. Like, I, was I was really glad she didn't get damseled if anything yeah. he got damseled a little bit and that she had to yeah. save his life <laughs> that's you know? true yeah yeah and he went to her when his life was in danger he went to her like, mm-hmm. I, I really liked the way that they built that relationship. I really loved, I gotta say, one thing that I really loved about this is that we don't have any of that fucking male gazy bullshit. You know, she is dressed in loose fitting, you know, um, scrubs for most of her appearance. And it's Rachel McAdams. I mean, there's lots of pretty things that you can do. You can sex her up as much as you want. And they didn't. Um, <laughs> they let her be strong. They let her be capable. Uh, they didn't play her up as. As, you know, they didn't kill her to motivate his story. Thank you very much for that. No fridging here. Um, I, I liked the way that they built it. I like the way that they, there aren't very many women in this in this movie. Um, but the women that are there are not 
treated the way women are often treated in these stories. I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. You know what? You guys are convincing me because I largely felt that the time we spent with Christine was mostly wasted. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that some of him coming to realize how poorly he treated her, like his is part of his awakening empathy, and I liked that part. But overall, I was mostly thinking, why are we wasting Rachel McAdams on this? Oh. (laughs) I don't think we did. I think that there's very little, you know, there isn't a whole lot of Christine in this, but what there is, I think, is really good. And I'm really glad to see somebody of Rachel McAdams' caliber in this role. Um, Because I think as a woman in Hollywood, that's got to be nice. To have a yeah. character like that to play, especially a classically beautiful woman in Hollywood, you know, um, where what you get tends to be, you know, hey, baby, why don't you bend over and give us a little of that eye candy? You know, um, she's really allowed to be a strong and capable character and support character for him. Um, and I hope that they use her more and I hope that they don't damsel her. If they just don't damsel her, I'll be happy. <laughs> Um, so another thing that I really loved, and I would like to just kind of open this up to Kelly, because um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Dr. Kelly Jones, libraries are, um, I think to say that a library is a sacred space is almost underselling how you feel about libraries. And so Wong's library, I just want to give you a moment to, because I'm dying to hear your response to that library. Oh, God, I loved it beyond the telling. I'm like, can we just, I mean, like, I know the movie has to have, like, a plot and an antagonist or whatever, but I'm like, can we just have the movie with, like, the magic school? Because I'm cool with that. Like, it would be great. Yes. Oh, my God, I love the books. I love the books. What did you think about the books in Chains? I was like, okay, is this a bad thing or is this a sexy thing? I kind of think it's a sexy thing. Well, I mean, it could be a sexy thing, but I think that the books um, agreed mm-hmm. to to be okay, chained Okay, so this up. is completely consensual. Yes, it's yes. consensual okay, good. bondage. Good, good. <laughs> and and I think the reason that they're they're chained is not well. It felt like it's not so much about this is forbidden as it is you're not ready for this yet so like if yeah. you can figure out how to get those chains off you can read those he books. does he just he waves his hand and the chains yeah. come right off so i and mean the chains come off right so yeah it, the, it, it kind of feels like the books giving permission to be read mm-hmm. which i really really liked well yeah and i mean he he loves i mean if there is a love story in this movie, I think it is strange in books, right? Yeah. He's, you know, you've already read all of these. Yes, I have photographic memory. I know all of it, you know, and I want to read more. And he just was, he just absorbs all of that information. And as a book, like if you're going to anthropomorphize a book, the purpose of which is to, you know, give knowledge to people who are willing to receive it. If you have somebody who will appreciate every single word on every single page the way that Strange does, I mean, you'd be jumping out of those chains, chains to get in his hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and but just just the whole setup, like there is a curriculum in mm-hmm. place. There yes. is learning set by level of mastery. Like it just made me so damn happy. Like, <laughs> yes, that is how you structure things for new learners. And yes, you put things in order and on mm-hmm. purpose. And it was so great to see. And like when he finally does master the sling ring and he knows how to open portals, he uses it to borrow the forbidden books from the library. And like, yeah. 
Yes, he's a terrible, <laughs> arrogant asshole, but I don't care. I love him for that. I like, know. Just for that. It's oh so Oh, my God. Great. When he's reaching in and stealing all the what books the from Wong, it is I, adorable. And Wong is listening to Beyonce, and he's just I grabbing. Know. It was so great. It was so great. <laughs> but I love, like, I love the whole thing about you really should have stolen the whole book because yes. the warnings come after the spells mm-hmm. of like one of the things that you know you learn as you grow and study is yeah. you you read everything first mm-hmm. like you don't make the assumptions that oh here's the spell and you just do it like you do right. need to read to the end mm-hmm. um to get <laughs> to the warnings and i i just loved that i loved that he i love the way he loved the books i love the way the books were treated i love the role of the library yeah. you know there and and just the roles of the books in in that magical learning i was like yeah i just like i know the movie has to continue whatever fight i'm here to bargain yeah it's great you saved the world but i like i just want to go back to the school like it's awesome oh my god and the design of it is so oh, beautiful so good and the fact that the books are i mean this is not an efficient use of space right that you've got each of these books chained up in this little circle you know in this whole place but i kind of i love the way it it puts all this power and meaning and significance into each individual book mm-hmm. i just thought i thought that was really cool and i knew that you would have really really loved that so i wanted I to hear you you talking about libraries is honestly <laughs> one of my favorite things and they did not destroy all the books with yes. the fighting which yes. made me very happy. Nobody set that library on fire. Like it was great. I know. It was. I know. It's always a threat when there's a big pile of books that you're right? like, those yeah. motherfuckers are not making it to the end credits. <laughs> oh God. Um, all right. So there was one thing that I actually kind of thought was an interesting point when the ancient one was explaining you know, spells to strange in the beginning. She says it's the source code that shapes reality. If you don't, you know, if you don't want to think of it as spells and magic, it's the source code that shapes reality. You can think about it like programs. Um, and that gave some of this a very matrixy feel. Yeah. Like when, when we were in the mirror dimension and we have all these sharp edges and the, and it feels like the matrix is just being, Um, you know, being manipulated. Um, I thought that was really kind of an interesting idea. And of course, it made me think of Arthur C. Clarke, right? Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Um, So I'm interested, Joshua, kind of in your take on that idea. I really like the discussion of spells as manipulating the source code of reality. Mm -hmm. And I also think that the movie does a pretty good job of this Uh, of framing it as spiritual rather than intellectual. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which I think my appreciation for that dichotomy is part of the reason that I want to see Strange's mind not get him out of this all Mm -hmm. the time. You know, um, I'm realizing as I say this. And that's why the the Arthur C. Clarke quote kind of bothers me in this context because I don't want it to be technology. You know, like Mm -hmm. talking about it in terms of programs makes sense, but it's a program you feel instead of understand, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. 
anyway, that's that's my my kind of like, ooh, I run right up against the Clark quote, and I'm just like, oh, almost, but not quite. You know, right? Well, it's interesting though because they are in this sort of complicated gray area, right? You know, thematically between this idea of magic and this idea of science, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the thing is that that's where we get the difference between science fiction and fantasy, right? You know, if you have the force, it's a fantasy. <laughs> if you have like a holodeck, <laughs> that's technology, right? You know, um, so it's really interesting though how they do kind of go into this slightly gray area and when we get into you know the mirror dimension with all of its sharp edges and Mm -hmm. gravity and everything moving around it does feel like a computer program gone awry if there are no laws anymore you know i mean it's everything's all over the place and it has that very matrixy feel to it but then when you get into um you know like the uh the sling ring and and all the things we have the um the anthropomorphized cape you know which mm-hmm. is which is dr strange's relic um the 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 cape of levitation is it is that what it is yeah i um, love that cape so much i love that cape but I the cape needs the cape. a name the cape, the cape is of a levitation character. you need yeah. To give him a name. A cape needs a name. That is such a great, like, great Bob its or name something. is Cloak of Levitation. <laughs> cloak of if levitation. it had a name, it would be even closer, and it's already uncomfortably close to this, in my opinion. It would be even closer to being a Disney princess's a animal Disney... companion. Yeah. No, a little bit. A little bit. But I can definitely it see is. that. And, like, when he yeah. flips up the collar and he's all looking badass, and it just, like, Touches oh, his cheek, and it's like because he had a tear on his face. It was wiping the tear away. It was, it was so, so sweet. Great. Oh, but I love it when he's trying to run to the sword on the wall, and the cape keeps pulling him back to mm-hmm. the um, to the thing that he has no idea what it is. But of course, it's a, it's a cage, you know, for Caecilius. Um, I love the way the cape interacts with with Strange, and of course, we had that moment earlier in the in the movie where he says, "Well, how will I know what my relic is?" You know, yeah. um, and so. I like that we're in the middle of this fight and this cape is just like, this is my dude. (laughs) (laughs) The cape just knows. I loved that. I thought that that was really, really great. Diversity, I think, in this this, uh, movie is a little, I mean, okay, Again, like before, we were talking about money is different on a Marvel scale. Diversity is different on a Marvel scale because Marvel has not traditionally been real good about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that we have a female mentor. I am heartily disappointed to discover that she has been whitewashed. Um, That's not fun. Um, I like that Mordo is is black. We've got, oh, God, help me. I can't pronounce his name. Wild. Geator, something like that. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm terrible about pronouncing his name, but I love that actor. He's fantastic. Um, so I like that we've got him and we've got Wong, you know, um, and none of these characters are engaging in the kinds of ridiculous stereotypes that we see when we pull in characters of color, characters of different background, women. You know, um, and so overall, although we we didn't have, I think, enough diversity, the diversity we had, I felt for the most part was was well handled, um, aside from the horribly disappointing whitewashing. Um, so what did you guys think about that? OK, I've already kind of said my piece about mm-hmm. the whitewashing. It's very bad. Yeah. Partly because the Marvel comics, until relatively recently in time, have also been very straight white and male, you mm-hmm. know. 
so it feels like losing any person of color through adaptation is a big yes, loss. It is. At the same mm-hmm. time, a woman mentor teaching men is mm-hmm. a big deal. So, yeah, like I said, it's kind of you give and you take away. Yeah. Um, I think the change for Mordo is very, very good. As long as he remains in a firm anti-hero space in the next mm-hmm. movie, like mm-hmm. at odds with Steven, but not necessarily clearly villainous, mm-hmm. you know, because I because I don't just want every black man to also be the villain. Well, and that's the problem is that we can have like it's not that, you know, a, a person of color or, you know, a, a black man or whatever cannot be a villain. It's that we have so few you yeah, know, we have yes. too few characters of color so that if you make the only one you have a bad guy, then you're sending a message with that. The answer is to have more <laughs> wider variety of characters of color, which we, you know, we've got in Black Panther. We had beautiful, you know, representation in Black Panther, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I mean, in this movie, you don't have enough. So I, I love the idea. I love the idea of Mordo. I love this character. I love the way that he's written. I love the way that he's played by the actor whose name I cannot pronounce, and I'm so sorry. Um, and I I love all of that. But and within the text itself, like I would like to see. I don't mind seeing him become a villain as long as he's an interesting villain, you know. Um, but when that's the only black person that you got in the movie, ugh, it's not good. I guess that's where I'd wind up is it feels a little bit like a mixed bag, but also some of that feeling is coming from what I'm worried about they'll do later, which doesn't seem fair. So I'm going to put that in my back pocket. I think it's I think it's an earned distrust. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm not I I think I think they've earned that level of distrust. Um, Kelly, what did you think about it? Well, at first. I was like, oh, this is so nice. Like, we have this woman teaching, and we have characters of color, and we don't have, like, a lot of objectification going Mm -hmm. on. And then I started thinking, how does the Ancient One symbolize, like, bad white feminism in a way that Mm -hmm. I need to pay attention to? So, like, I was trying to think about that in terms of what would make me very uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. About that casting. Yeah. Um, and I, I still think uh, as a whole, like, this is just an ongoing problem that Marvel has. Like, when we have to be happy that a movie didn't do something terrible. <laughs> right. right. Yes. The bar yes. is just really, really low. The bar so, is way too fucking low. I, yeah. yeah I, I think we just have so far to go. And Black Panther gave me so much hope yes. for, you know, the future mm-hmm. Marvel movies um, that I really hope that will continue to echo through Mm -hmm. you know like i am i did not know that we were getting a doctor strange sequel and now i'm excited about it yeah um so yeah mixed bag i guess is my it is it is and you're right i mean the fact that i am so pleased that we didn't objectify rachel mcadams or tilda swinton Yeah, like I shouldn't have to be pleased. I should yeah. that shouldn't have yeah. to be something that that makes me happy just to know that I'm not as a woman getting slapped in the face mm-hmm. in this particular movie. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's not something for which Marvel gets a cookie. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I did appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> not we can getting say slapped. Strong, you know, yeah, strong movement in the correct direction without yes. saying, "And you've arrived." Without you're saying, "This is great." Yeah. Right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. It is no Black Panther, not yet, but maybe in the next movie. Um, you know, if we keep heading in the right direction, then that's that's really great. Um, 
I also really like there's uh, there's such a sense of identity. And you know me, I mean, again, origin stories, this is what I think in the end always gets me that I always like about the origin stories. I like about these superhero stories. We talk about it all the time um, is the identity story. Like, you know, who is Dr. Strange, you know? Um, and he never, he never lets go of his identity. He is always Dr. Strange, right? It's Dr. Strange, not Master Strange, not Mr. Strange, Dr. Strange. You know, he makes a real point of saying that when she's trying to get him to be the master at the, um, at the sanctum to protected um and he never lets go never loses focus of who he is even when without his hands without his ability to you know be a surgeon he does lose a huge part of his identity um and he tries to search for it and he tries to get it back but but he never he never releases that identity. He is always Dr. Strange, even when he's not actually being a doctor. Um, and I thought that that identity story in there um, was also pretty cool. Oh, yeah, so did I. And he was a very arrogant doctor, and he certainly chose cases for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. But like in the beginning, when Christine comes running to him for the patient, you know, that they're going to essentially yeah. turn into an, an organ donor, mm-hmm. um, he does he does stop to save that life and he's not drawn to violence like he his whole and i and i guess maybe it's one of those things where his weakness becomes a strength like this Mm -hmm. this is still a very arrogant person at the end of this movie he has not lost all Mm -hmm. of that you know all of that arrogance he's still somewhat emotionally detached i Mm -hmm. think which makes him a very interesting superhero to me because he's not like a quintessentially capital G good character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he does hold that identity of doctor and he does hold that identity of healer. I think in a way that's very different than a lot of the other Marvel characters Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. So what motivates him there, I don't know. It's a little more crunchy and a little more complicated. And I think it's one of the reasons I like this. Um, right. A lot more than, you know, than maybe I would traditionally like a superhero movie. Um, but it raises this super interesting question of when do you stop being a doctor? Like the mm-hmm. ancient one challenges him on that, you know, when he's like, I'm Doctor Strange. And she's like, surely not anymore. Right. But mm-hmm. it's a part of him that he chooses to hold on to, even though he cannot do that work the way right. that he used to do that work. Right. And it it's so fascinating to me because and and Josh you saying in the comics that he had turned down a teaching position. Mhm. I thought was also really really interesting because like that to me would also it, you know it's almost like the next level like it would almost mean more to start sharing his knowledge and he's not in that place right now but I, that's what I would like to see him do. You know, mm-hmm. if he was going to, to continue on as a doctor, I would like to see him become a teacher. Um, and I think he has a way to go in terms of battling that arrogance and identity that's still within him. So, yeah, it, it's a fascinating part of this movie. And I think they did a really good job with it. Once again, you guys are super convincing me about things that I had kind of mixed feelings about. Because I really felt like this Doctor Strange needed to be taken down more notches before he uh-huh. went back up. 
You right. Know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not that I want somebody to just like beat the doctor out of him or whatever. But when when the ancient one says to him, well, surely not anymore. Like mm-hmm. she's being condescending on purpose. Like she's right. trying to take the piss out of him. And yeah, I, I don't know. I love the identity and never letting it go. I guess I wish that they had integrated his doctorness into his sorcery more obviously right. somehow like because yeah. we definitely get to a place where he is a surgeon of reality as far as mm-hmm. the comics are concerned you know yeah. like that's what he's doing i am literally excising the mystical cancers and stitching the wounds in reality back together you know things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know because because i'm with you guys i love that he never let it go but also because i went to do the second act so differently i feel like he should have set it aside and then picked it back up again, maybe something like that. Yeah, I don't think you can set it aside. Like if it's if it's that deeply a part of who you are, um, and and it's such a huge loss for him that like all mm-hmm. the magic in the world, not going to fix that. You right. know, his hands are still shaking at the end of this movie. Yeah, they're still shaking, and I love that they're still shaking at the end of this movie. But what I love about it, though, is that when he goes on that rant, it's Doctor Strange, not Master, not Mr. Doctor. And he says, when I became a doctor, I swore an oath to do no harm, and I've just killed a man. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing that again, right? And the thing is that in a world, right, I mean, we just did Civil War, which was all about the unbelievable collateral damage that happens when you have Hulk racing through New York City, right? Um, And that so many people die while the Avengers, while Iron Man, while Captain America, while all of these heroes are trying to save people, they are killing people or people are dying as a result of the, the battle that they're in, right? And here we have... Doctor Strange, who has killed one man, right? And we take this moment for him to struggle with that in his identity and say, I'm not going to take lives. I became a doctor to save lives, right? I actually really loved and appreciated that moment where we were taking it seriously. That Here was this guy that, that Doctor Strange killed who was trying to kill him. I mean, very, very (laughs) much trying to kill him. He killed this guy in self-defense, right? And that is one of those things that whenever we see a death in self-defense in almost any movie, but most especially a Marvel movie, right? Um, It's like, whatever. Dude was asking for it, right? You know, Mm -hmm. here he was trying to kill. But, But in this moment, he takes it seriously because that is the last part of his identity that he has left. I took this Mm. oath. I took an oath. So... I love that. And then we have her response, which is you became a doctor to save one life above all others, your own, which I think undercuts this idea. Right. But I I love having somebody in the Marvel Universe giving a fuck about the lives that are just lost all over the place, you know, and even in the end, when he defeats Dormammu, he doesn't kill Dormammu. Yep. He dies over and over and over and over again, but he doesn't hurt Dormammu. I came here to bargain. Yep. Right? And it isn't until Dormammu agrees to his terms, you know, that he is able to win that fight. He doesn't need to kill to win. And honestly, I think it's one of my favorite things about Doctor Strange, and I really wish we'd kind of hit that a little bit harder. I kind of want that to be a thing for him. You know, Um, it makes me really enjoy this character so much more. 
Yeah, it did me too. I was so glad to see that like, yeah, his way of defeating this mm-hmm. this enemy is to literally like wear him, him down uh, wear him down <laughs> you know i'm gonna make you an offer you cannot refuse dude I i'm here to bargain it. like it I was so it. great and it's such a change from how mm-hmm. we normally think about defeating you know the bad right. guy right there which i just i thought was so well done and and the other thing that just and maybe you guys will have more film symbolism around this but josh what you were saying about wishing he had set part of his identity down um one of the things that really struck me in here was his facial hair like his beard yeah. now mm-hmm. we all know yes i would prefer all my superheroes with five o'clock shadow that's just me but you know he goes from this super sharp you know clean shaven like all the time yes crisp person and as he becomes more and more hopeless and helpless you know the beard grows and it grows Mm -hmm. and it grows and not until the ancient one leaves him at the top of Everest and he finds his way back does he shave and he still struggles yeah it's so hard for him and then he ends up with that goatee so it's kind of like the world's most evil looking goatee I mean my god okay I like it (laughs) but it's it's like a midpoint between where he started and 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 his low moment you know and i thought that that was super interesting like it just Mm -hmm. felt really like an important part of that story and so i don't know if there's something deeper there but i liked it yeah yeah man the theme of this episode of our podcast is that (laughs) i have new appreciation for stuff that i didn't love enough Uh uh-huh but but I also think I think you're onto it, Lonnie. As far as what's why it all doesn't work for me is that they just don't hit it quite hard enough. Like right. all the mm-hmm. pieces are there as you yeah. guys are describing it, but they just it, it, you know we they shake the commit. box and hope the puzzle comes together a little too much. Right. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you guys aren't wrong. All that is there, and I'm mm-hmm. loving it. Yeah. But I've seen this movie a few times and a lot of this did not jump out on me and it's just we just cruise by a little too fast or it's not I think it doesn't so. b- get to breathe in the moment or I don't know exactly what but it's all there I just yeah wish it'd come together a little stronger. Yeah, yeah no I absolutely understand that. Um and honestly like the first time I watched it I didn't pick up on any of this. You know, it wasn't until I started watching it like really thinking about it for this episode that I started to see these things. So I think you're absolutely right. I can see how a lot of people would miss like the things that I love most about this movie are things that I didn't see until I sat down and said, okay, what am I looking, you know, I'm looking very, very deeply into this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it can be really hard to, um, you have to do a lot of the work. I think of putting all of this together, you know, and and the movie, I think, is maybe not doing enough of the work to make it clear that this is what it's doing. I like it when a movie relies on me or any story really relies on me to be smart and insightful. But yes, I think either either because of the larger MCU that most of them don't have. Mm-hmm. more than about two layers you right know? Mm-hmm. either it's that like my expectation or it's something about this movie specifically but yeah it could do just a little more of the lifting yeah no i think i think it needs to do a little bit more of the lifting to make sure that there is some clarity that this is what it's trying to do yeah, yeah that yeah. it's purposeful that we're not doing all this work exactly. for nothing they mean for us to get it 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So in the spirit of hoping to change Joshua's mind on a topic, I know I cannot change his mind on. But (laughs) while we're talking about things that need to be changed in this movie, can we just talk about Benedict Cumberbatch's accent? Because yes, like, yeah, why Why would you have Benedict Cumberbatch and and not have his English accent? What is up with that? Look, it's, it's the world's most gorgeous voice. And yes. you take it and say, okay, you know what? We're going to change that. We're going to make it hell? American. And not even Why? any like interesting part of American. Not even like a Southern accent or something. It's just a flat. I mean, uh. goddamn. Is Dr. Strange from Minnesota? It's just a flat. <laughs> no. I mean, okay. No. That's why it's brilliant. Because he's from America. He's from he America. Is, it is he, a no, no, no. This is not American jingoistic accent. bullshit. I'm impressed with the ability to build an accent that is so thoroughly American and yet from nowhere. He's generican. He's, he's generic. <laughs> well, okay, look, I'm not going to say that Benedict Cumberbatch didn't do an excellent accent because he, he did. did. He was really good. But why oh would you not God. just change him and make him British if you have Benedict? Oh. If you have Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch. Like, come on. It's unforgivable. It's, it's, it's just, almost as bad as taking Lee Pace and Guardians of the Galaxy and putting him under a bunch of blue makeup and giving him nothing to do. Why? I'm way madder about the giving waste. him nothing to do. It's a waste. <laughs> it was a waste of Lee Pace. It is a waste of Benedict Cumberbatch. And if he, if this movie had had him with his British accent, I would have loved it so much more. Changing nothing else. Me too. Yes. Just, I know. I, know. I just, I know. I, it kills me. It, it breaks I know. my heart. There are a few things that Marvel has done that absolutely kills me. And this is one of them. Like, oh God! I I know. Get if it. I could go back, if I could get the eye of Agamom or whatever the <laughs> hell it was, and go back in time and be in the room where that decision was made, right? Um, yes. Yeah, and then just make them relive it over and over again until over they make the over. right call, like Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> no, friends, they're going to keep making the same call because Generica is an amazing place to be from. <sighs> no, no, it's terrible. No, it's real sad. It's, <laughs> it's just terrible. real sad. all right so we have our little um coda scene with thor with the magically refilling beer stein which i loved now that's a relic that's a relic (laughs) god damn straight um so what'd you guys think about that kelly you liked it right oh yeah i loved it and like in my heart i have wanted from the beginning of all of this i just want the doctor strange versus loki movie like that that is the marvel movie of my heart Mm -hmm. but i have always enjoyed the strange thor dynamic yeah like i think Mm -hmm. they're very very good together on screen and Mm -hmm. kind of this disdain that they have for each other is so great (laughs) So if we do this thing, then Loki goes and he's like, yeah, he's like, allow me to help you. Yeah. (laughs) It's the age old enmity between the jock and the nerd. And it is amazing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It would have only been better if they had both been British. Um, (laughs) 
All right. So now here we are at the end of our discussion. Um, and we want to go through and talk about what was our favorite part. So Dr. Jones, as our guest, and thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us on this episode. I'm so glad we got to talk about it with you. Uh, what was your favorite part of Dr. Strange? Oh, thanks for having me because I get to talk about the magic and the library and the books Yay! because that's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I knew you would love the library. <laughs> it's so great. So great. All right, Joshua, what's your favorite part? Well, I, I have like a like a serious one and then also a more honest but ridiculous one. Okay. Um, the serious one is Mordo. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Every he time he is on screen, I sort of think he outshines Strange most of the time. Oh, he does. Like yeah. I almost want this to just be a Baron Mordo movie mm-hmm. and that's pretty good. I mean, that's yeah. a really good setup for him to be an antagonist down the line, if I'm mm-hmm. that impressed with him when he's, you know, in an in-between space. He's so much wiser than Strange, but then he's also able to give him some shit. I just really like it. The, the mm-hmm. performance is stunning. Yes. No, it the is really more good. ridiculous one is <laughs> there is a line in this film that is, it's actually an exchange, I suppose, that is spectacular. Um, when Doctor Strange and Cassilius meet for the first time and there mm-hmm. is some confusion about his name. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Doctor, Mr. it's Doctor. strange. Who am I to judge? That shit is comedy gold. It is the who's on first of the Marvel Universe, yes. And it is spectacular. It's just, and because it's like two guys that aren't funny yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's still hilarious because, look, whatever you want to say about Benedict Cumberbatch, I don't really think that guy can do comedy. And I think that Mads can do comedy, uh-huh. but mostly by just deadpanning their shit out of everything, you know. <laughs> yes. No, that was absolutely so, a lot of fun. Really good. Lonnie, finish yeah. us up. What's your favorite part? Um, I, I love I Came Here to Bargain. I love dying over and over and over again. I love defeating the bad guy without killing the bad guy. I love thematically how that played into everything else that was going on, that that our villain, our bad guy, Caecilius, was looking to get rid of time as it was, too, that that was part of that whole thing. I just thought that was spectacular. All right, so that pretty much clears us up for today. Uh, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. As always, it is a delight to spend time with you. Can you tell the good people where they can find you? I am on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, and this was fun. I think I, I think I asked y'all to let me do this when you announced you were yeah. talking about the MCU. <laughs> so thanks for letting me come play along. <laughs> So, so glad you could join us. It was so much fun. An episode two years in the making. That's right. (laughs) And we will absolutely do it again. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I'm at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January producers, Jonathan, Shelley, Kristen, Noel, Alyssa, Erica, Abigail, Alice, Sarah, and April. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. We never lose our demons. We only learn to live above them. 
To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or chart a top 10 hit with the flugelhorn. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with special guest Rob Hyrett, host of Chipperish's Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You. Until then, who's laughing now, asshole? Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or chart a, or chart a top 10 hit with the fugal... Good <laughs> lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta yes. give me a friggin' charta top and flugelhorn. A flugelhorn. I gave you flugelhorn. Horn. And friends, he said this with a I know generic American accent. You can handle, you can handle accent. this shit. I know what you can do.